Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Big Footy Podcast for 2016. Uh, We've seen round one off, we're heading in towards round two, and I'm joined tonight by the creme de la creme, the utmost elite of our Big Footy podcasters this week. Mike, welcome back. Hello, uh, Wookie, and uh, hello, everyone else. And we're joined this week uh, for the first time on the main podcast. If you've listened to our extras over the last couple of weeks, you will have heard him talk about women's footy. Uh, Crowded House is here with us uh, once more. Uh, good evening, Crowded House. Great to be here and great to be upgraded from the rookie list. <laughs> it's, it's all good. And and part of the reason he's here is because uh, certain, uh, shall we say, respected members of uh, the, the big uh, footy board, respected moderator and uh, admin messenger, has decided not to turn up this week. Mike, what's all that about, do you think? Oh, we know he's, he's uh, quietly sulking in the corner about... Uh losing to Geelong and having to put up with the uh, myriad of uh, <laughs> Geelong premiership posts. Do you think he's quietly weeping over a copy of the grand final DVD? Oh, he's probably gone back to watch his, you know, three-peak replays and uh, having a good old chuckle there. Hugging, but, his, uh, hugging his life-size blow-up doll of Luke Hodge? <laughs> well, no, with, well, actually... With an arm in a sling now? Yeah, I know, <laughs> Saying that, that's probably a good segue into the injury discussions there with Mr. Hodge. But yeah, that's, that's right. He probably is uh, commiserating over the absence of Mr. Hodge, who just fittingly will, re- I think, will return against the game between Hawks and Dogs. So I think we'll have to rough him up there again and test that arm if he's out. Indeed. Now, guys, as always, uh, I like to start my podcast. I mean, the guys last week did their own thing, and we like to thank them for that. But... Uh... I would uh, like to ask you what caught your eye over the weekend in uh, during round one, whether football related or not. Uh, guess first, Crowded House, what got your eye, up? What caught my eye was Harvey Norman not putting uh, microwaves out the front of their stores ready for Richmond supporters <laughs> at three-quarter time. If they lost that game to Carlton, they would have been microwaving the memberships. <laughs> and it, it looked likely at one point too, but I think everyone thought Richmond were going to come home. Uh, in the end, Carlton were just not never going to run that out. Mike, what got your eye up? Well, I, what nearly caught my eye was I did actually tip Carlton to, to beat uh, Richmond last week. Um, probably one of the few, but anyway, it didn't quite happen. Um, what caught my eye? Um, probably, I think, overall, Franklin's return to Sydney. So it, it looks like he, uh, he he didn't miss a beat and hasn't taken any time off, So which is good for the game, I think. Good for, good for Sydney and good to see him back. Mm. I think for me it was Danger Mania. It's round one for crying out loud, people. <laughs> like, oh, exactly. you don't you don't get a mania in round one. Like, sure, four or five games on the trot. If he's dominating, you get a mania out of that. You don't get a mania in round one. It's a media beat up if there ever was one. Yes, he's doing good things at Geelong. Yes, their memberships are going through the roof. Yes, they've got massive financial backing at the moment. But on field. It's not Danger Mania yet. Give me a break. Well, I've got, I've got a feeling. I've got a so. feeling in Geelong mode that if he puts two or three good games together, they're going to go overboard. I mean, we're talking about Geelong advertiser overboard. They're going to rename themselves <laughs> the Dangerfield <laughs> Daily if this keeps that's up. Right. There'll be liftouts every weekend with his stats and everything. Yeah, the Dangerfield Stadium. That's right. No more Shell Stadium. It'll be the Dangerfield Stadium. But you know, I mean, looking in, in fairness, I. You know, it's pretty obvious that Hawthorne were right for the picking and someone like Dangerfield was going to have a standout match in context. 
Let me throw one out there for you. Ten points the difference between North Melbourne and Adelaide. If Dangerfield was playing for Adelaide, does that flip the score? It's hard. I think it probably would have, but uh, it, it really is hard to tell with the way Adelaide play sometimes. It's it. And he, and he wasn't overly consistent in his last year at Adelaide either. Yeah, I don't know. Hard to tell, I think. I think that's actually good. It, it does raise a good point because in this game last week, I, I didn't actually tip a winner, but I said it would be within two goals either way. So it was just one of those games, I think, that could have gone either way. Would he have made a difference? You know, if he played like he did on Monday, yeah, he would have made a difference and Adelaide would have won the game. But I guess, you know, we can all say that in hindsight. Again, the reality is is that, uh, you know, I think Adelaide will probably do just as well without him than what they do with him when he's playing there. Mm. So, uh, there's a lot of a lot of raps on the first game as this week. It's been, been a lot of talk on the various shows and things like that. The, the first game's on. Clayton Oliver, the rising star there. Um... Oh, is he from Melbourne, Clayton Oliver? Have I got that right? No? I don't know. Yes, he is from Melbourne. He is. Yeah. Showing my lack of knowledge yet again. <laughs> but yeah, Clayton Oliver was a rising star. Obviously, big raps on uh, Jacob Wiedering at Carlton and uh, a number of other players who, uh, yeah, basically the first five, I think they were saying uh, the top five picks in the draft all played round one. All played well. Uh, there's some people saying it's 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 possibly the the best uh, best uh, draft since 2000. Mike, how does that make you feel about Bontempelli these days? Well, that's fine. I mean, look, there's always going to be progression in terms of um, you know new players coming through the ranks, and that's what we need for the game. We know we always need new players coming in to replace those older players going out, but. Um, Someone else who I thought was actually pretty good for the first game, who uh, I can't remember his age, but I think he's actually over twenty-one. Marcus Adams, who uh, who uh, played on Pav and kept Pav to uh, six disposals and one goal, one goal. Um, not bad for a first gamer who mm. who played with composure of someone with the equivalent experience of about fifty to seventy-five games, and uh, it looked looked like he had a bit of white line fever as well. Knew exactly where to keep the ball. So, so pretty good uh, size in terms of just seeing those type of players pop up. And, you know, not just my club in particular, but we're starting to see a bit more of a balance now and spread of the talent across the clubs, which is mm. what I think we need to keep the game going. I think it might be... Well, I think this year we might actually start to see the system work across the board. If everyone's drafted well for a change, and, and maybe that point system is coming into an effect that people actually want, Hmm. It, it, it may have actually worked against all odds. Something the AFL has done with the draft may have actually worked. I mean, maybe not pulling young kids away from their states and allowing them to be drafted through this point system to their home states and whatnot. Maybe that's changed their attitudes. Maybe that maybe that's affecting how they play. You know, through the preseason and everything. Maybe maybe this is maybe this is meant to work like this. Well, I guess if it's having positive effect now, we'll just have to wait and see. But, you know, I mean, reality assesses, and we've seen examples in the last few years where kids, young kids have gotten homesick and they want to go home, fair enough, you know. Yeah. And I think that's always going to be the case. So I think we should be uh, able to give a player the opportunity to remain in their state if they so wish to. Mm. 
Now, the the major issue for the week, if you like, was the illicit drugs in sport thing, and uh, Collingwood a little bit miffed at uh, being the only club named, despite apparently having two clubs with more players uh, getting reported than Collingwood. Collingwood were the only ones named, which led to a very uh, heated exchange between uh, Chris Scott, Nathan Buckley, and Mark Robinson, who wrote the article that named Collingwood on Monday night on AFL 360. I don't know if you guys caught that. Yeah, it did. And, you know, as always, they're going to throw the Collingwood name out there, good or bad, because, let's be honest, Collingwood sells papers. And, you know, good or bad, you'll always get a reply from Eddie Maguire. It's all about not just ending the story, but the longevity of the story. And, of course, we're still talking about it several days later. So, um, uh, so again, Collingwood in the crosshairs. Maybe they're, you know, subconsciously trying to tie it back, obviously, to the two Collingwood players that got suspended um, uh, last year. Obviously, different substances we're talking about here. But Collingwood and controversy, it sells papers because Collingwood supporters are uproared about it. They call up talkback stations and everyone else hates Collingwood, so they, then they want their two cents worth. So if you've got a headline, if you've got a story, you throw the word Collingwood in there and it moves. Mm. There's talk of player striking, uh, players striking or pulling out of the illicit drugs agreement because it's not part of the CBA apparently. So they can pull out at any time. Uh, until the next CBA is drafted. Uh, Stephen Trigg today at Carlton, and also Brendan Gale yesterday, apparently fully supportive of the illicit drugs program as it stands at the moment. Uh, Colin Carter at Geelong, less supportive of it, uh, saying he wouldn't be surprised and wouldn't mind the players if they did walk away from it. So it seems to be uh, a little bit of a split in the ranks there. Yeah, very much so. And it, uh, I, I think they've got to look at the overall... Um, importance you know of the drug policies for the afl and uh, you're looking at these kids who are becoming or who are cult heroes and, and heroes for younger younger generation or, or the children and you know the message has got to be clear and consistent drugs are drugs if they, it doesn't matter if they're illicit or performance enhancing they're a banned subjects they're not a legal mm. substance so you know I, I don't care if you don't like it but if you're caught with an illegal substance then you should be uh, you should be made to, to suffer the penalties adequately, but on the flip side, you know I can see Maguire's point. But as you know, as uh, Credit House synopsis was was on the on the mark there, you know it's what sells papers. I've said this before about the AFL acting as a police force of its own and enforcing rules because society expects them to lead by example, not because. It's something that a sporting body should be doing in terms of enforcing the law. If players, I'm, I'm, I'm in two minds on this. Players not doing drugs is not uh, players doing drugs isn't good for the code. It's not good for the clubs. It's not good for the players, and it doesn't set a good example for younger people. And that's all true. But at the same time, is it the AFL's remit to interfere in legal matters? So if the players are out, uh, are off season and they're doing drugs, is it the AFL's responsibility? to chase down what the players are doing in their own time and or is that a police matter if if the players are doing drugs then it gets reported to the police right well it's very difficult too because you've obviously got to pin where and where it happened i mean if players were caught taking illicit substances during the season when they're supposed to be training or playing etc then yeah bang throw the book at them no problems with that but if you see that, this, I think there's two states in, in the United States of America where it's now legal to buy pot over there, and some players might go to Europe and Amsterdam. So if they're on their own time, their own annual leave, and they wanted to go over there and enjoy a joint, 
you know, you know, where's the legal standing? If you get tested when you come back to say, yes, you've taken a list of substances, it seems to be marijuana, but you took it where it's perfectly legal where you took it, then where, where does the law sit? Well, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, uh, Brendan Gale apparently told the Players Association yesterday that they would be nuts to walk away from it uh, because the clubs themselves would then impose such conditions on the player contracts themselves that uh, they'd wish that they were back on the AFL's anti-doping uh, illicit drugs program. So mm-hmm. clubs tend to be pretty harsh on uh, that sort of that, that sort of thing. I just don't think it's going to be one of those issues that we're going to see any any resolution anytime soon. It's it's you know you're throwing money at kids. It's the uh, old age old uh, scenario. You throw this money at kids, big money. They're going to spend the money. They're going to party. That it's just going to be kids. And I think you need to put some balance and checks in place to make sure that it is contained. But I mean, again, it's the, the difficult part is defining the scope. And if it's during the season proper. Then and they and they found that as part of the regime of drug testing by the AFL. Well, the AFL should be dealing with it. Um, and if it's found or they they uh, have found to be uh, taking or in possession of illicit substances outside or at a public venue, um, it's a police matter. It's an interesting thing to think about as well as we're talking about men's AFL players at the moment. We're expecting women to start competing from next year onwards. So. And they'll be, no doubt, held to the same standards. So let's flash forward two to three years, off-season testing of the women. A couple of women are um, uh, pinned for illicit drug tests. Let's imagine how the newspaper stories are going to run then and then what's the spin on talkback radio and from there on. Look, honestly, I think it would be buried somewhere three or four pages deep in the back of the age or the sports section because at the moment... The whole focus is on the men's game, and that's not to that's not to put any bad slant on the women's game, but it hasn't mm. got anywhere near the levels of of, of uh, coverage and um, yeah, but uh, what I'm acknowledge. When it's good news for women, no doubt that good news for women's football tends to get buried a little bit. But if there's mm. something bad, if it's a slow news day and they're looking for a beat up, there could easily be a spin on this could be your daughter, and then you know a slow news day beat up, and there you go. I think that that depends very much on whether they can, who they can pin it on, whose fault it's supposed to be, according to the media outlet that's releasing it, and what the media outlet's agenda is as well. It's uh, they could very well say that they could say that about the men, uh, about men, women, kids in the TAC Cup. I mean, it's it's we cross that bridge when it comes. Hopefully, it doesn't come, but you know, I think we all know that it's likely to, given the blanket media coverage that the AFL gets. Mm. There's, no, there's no avoiding these things uh, if there's something that we've learnt in the last 20 years of blanket media coverage it's that where there is indiscretions like this no matter how minor they may be the media will blow them up because we have national coverage now you're not just reading about it you know with Ben Cousins for instance if he was only playing Waffle a couple of years ago you would not have, you would not have heard a peep about it in Victoria in in you know in in the early nineties even early, late eighties early nineties, but in the last twenty years, media coverage has gone national, networks have gone national, they've all 
and 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 now everything, every little thing that a player it, does is just. It, it, it's not the fact that it's just gone national. It's the fact that it's gone twenty four seven, and the news feed is now a, a hungry machine. That's In right. days gone by, when you just had the daily paper, and that was it. As much as you got TV and radio would virtually recycle what the paper said, and if you had a major story on something as a newspaper, you could stretch that story for days or even weeks, drip-feed it as you go. But now the story is evolving, and from a 24-hour period, you could have seven, eight, nine different angles on the story because mm. the news beast is hungry. How a story started at 6am is going to look completely different by 4pm in the afternoon. And I think that's helped by Fox having so many shows every day um, and so they've got their blanket news coverage of, of anything that happens in football and you've got SEM which is basically 24 hours a day devoted to sports coverage. I mean there's so many out. Uh, then you've got Twitter, you've got social media. I think anything is going to get blown out of proportion as it uh, as we move along. Speaking of which, uh, social media erupted in the last day or two over the appointment of Rachel Madden. Rebecca Madden. Sorry, Rebecca Madden. Rachel Madden. Rebecca Madden. Uh, to the uh, to the to the footy show uh, to either temporarily replace or totally replace Gary Lyon, uh, and this seems to have oh, brought some issues up. From men and women who watch the show, apparently. Because, yes, believe it or not, people still do watch the show. Not everyone is as culturally elite as uh, some people would like, apparently. <laughs> but what, what is the issue about Rebecca Madden being uh, one of the hosts of the footy show? Seriously, what is the issue? The issue because she's female? I think it's the same issue that came up with the... Uh, there was a woman commentator that did Channel 10's football coverage a couple of years ago. Oh, and uh, the name just slipped me right there and then. Um. <laughs> and and she she's occasionally on ABC's Offsiders, um, and I can't for yes. the life of me remember her name. She was a brunette. Um, I know who you're talking. Yeah, about, yeah, yeah, but and and people just some people I, I don't people just don't take a shine to women commentating on football for some reason. Hang on, there's a difference here between Rebecca Madden hosting a show and commentating it's, it's, on a but game. It's, it's the same. It's the same principle, though, Mike. This is what I'm saying. It's, it's um, Kelly Underwood. There we Kelly go. Underwood. There Thank we go. you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's it's it's. I don't know. It's football is seen as well, men's football in particular is seen as the last bastion, and this is from the comments of uh, the, that accompanied the articles today. But for, uh, men's football is seen as one of the last bastions of men's sport. Like, it's a men's thing. And even women that are riding in are saying, look, we're not interested in hearing women talk about men's football. It's, I'm not sure this is going to work the way Nine Hope it does. I mean, I'm not it's sure how... Right. I know they've got Erin Moran doing Rugby League's footy show, and she's done so this year. I'm not entirely sure whether that's affected its ratings or not. But um, I'm not entirely sure that this is going to work as well as they hope, if, especially if it comes across as forced. What about, well, I mean, they've got, how long has Kara Wilson been doing footy classifieds for now? Three and, years? Two, and, three years? What's the difference? Well, there's a big difference between reading what someone's writing and actually hearing them talk about it, Mike, and seeing them talk about it. It's... I, I, I can break it down, I guess, in a few ways looking at it. Um, you were mentioning Kelly Underwood earlier and, and people bagged her out. Um, I, I admit I was on the same bandwagon as well and I come at it from a commentator's point of view that um, when they promoted her at Channel 10, 
uh, on the coverage, they said, oh, she's the next best commentator, which was actually a blatant lie because on staff, and they weren't using, was Rob Waters, and Rob Waters used to call the VFL, and Rob was a very good caller. Mm. So, you know, that was a bit of PRBS being done by Channel 10 back then. Uh, I've heard Kelly Underwood on the netball. She's fine. Boundary rider, great. But as a football commentator, doesn't have it. It's not because she's female. It's because she doesn't have it. There's better female commentators out there. Joe Watton, for one, who's now calling with Croc Media. Joe Watton, who's been calling the amateurs for quite a while. She's, she's certainly one to keep your eye on. She'll make it, and she is good. A lot better than Kelly, in my opinion. Um, if you look at the footy show, I don't think it's necessary that um, when Madden coming along, it's going to improve things. I, I think the problem with the footy show is if you compare it uh, from the 90s uh, to now, is actually the players' panel. And it's because the players, thanks to modern-day public relations, are so stale, are so dry, who give absolutely nothing, that you rely upon Sam to try and do something outrageous to wake everyone up and keep everyone entertained. Same with Shane Crawford and Billy Brownless because the players have got no personality. doesn't mean the players have got to be outrageous. It's just they've got to give a genuine opinion. Compare the players now against the panel when you used to have Gary Lyon, Dermot Burton, Tim Watson, Dougie Hawkins, for example. They were a regular rotating panel. All respected, all had played by that stage close to over 300 games all had a personality, pretty intelligent, would give their own opinion. The players now, if you watch every show, what do they do? They look down at the sheet straight away and, you know, try and pick off a stat and then keep something very generic and very boring. Mm. No, I'm, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm just not sure that... Um, I'm, I'm, I guess you have to watch it and see how it turns out. I mean, look, I, so I, see it as a, I see it as Channel 9 trying to claw back some audience interest. Now, how's it going to work out? I guess we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, a new personality, um, obviously someone that's going to, they hope, appeal to a wider audience. But whether or not that's going to work out, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be a long-term thing on Channel Nine's behalf. We'll see how it goes. And that's all we can do. Mm-hmm. Just getting back to... Um not just Rachel Madden, but also Kelly Underwood. My problem with Kelly Underwood wasn't that she was a bad commentator or that uh, or that she was a woman. It was just her voice was so damn annoying. It, it was... Um, and I think part of that's because we're not used to hearing women commentate on the football in the mainstream. It, we're just... We're not used to... We're not used to hearing the... Um, I don't know, whether it's the higher pitch or whether it's... Maybe in there, and it's a bit monotone as well. Um, she didn't. She doesn't sound smooth. Um, as, as people go, what do you mean by sounding smooth? There's c- certain radio people, male and female, have got that nice smooth voice that seems mm. to tempo, s- seems to uh, suit a certain tempo of a certain sport. I mean, you can say the same with people who call snooker and golf, whatever. They've got that calm, whispering voice. Mm. They've got a style that suits a particular sport. I've watched Kelly call netball, and just for some reason, not being sexist because it's a women's sport, she just seemed to, because of the pace of the game, etc., seemed to be a bit more comfortable. But with footy, and then in the mix, when you put the male voices around her at the same time, it just didn't blend. Mm. Maybe. It might have also been the pressure. I mean, there was only a couple of games that she did call. So... the, the, pro- the problem they did with her right from the word go was PR. And before she was on 10, she was on 3AW. And what they did, they did one or two phantom calls with her 
in a box at the MCG and then through. And her debut wasn't even a full game. It was one quarter. It was the third quarter of an Essendon v Carlton match that was an absolute blowout. So it's a, non- a nightmare for a commentator to come into. And the worst scenario, she, she came in a three-person calling team in between Rex Hunt and Tony Leonard. And, you know, Leonard and Hunt have both got big personalities and big egos. Mm. This is, you know, your debut. You're going to be nervous as anything. You've got to try and come up to their level. What they should have done for Callie Underwood or any female that comes along that's interested in, in commentating football is just like a player. They've got to start at suburban level. They've got to go to the slower pace, get your groove, sort your style, figure out what type of commentator you want to be because there's varying different styles of play-by-play. And then you build up from there. Like a player, you go up a level, you get up to the faster pace, and then you gradually progress as you get more confident. You can't just go bang into the AFL, in the spotlight, thousands of people watching, now give us your very best. It's not going to work. Okay, Mike, anything else to add before we move along? No, I think I've comprehensively covered that topic. <laughs> Look, just, you can tell I'm a bit passionate about it. My, 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 my final comment on this is that I don't think it's going to—I don't think it's going to turn the footy show into the View anytime soon. That's—that's that's not where I think we're headed. I just—I'm not entirely sure that this is going to. I'll throw—I'll throw one female name out there that used to be on the ABC and, and did a little bit. Um, um, I think on the TAC Cup um, show that Craig Hutchison runs on Channel Nine. I'm surprised she didn't get the nod. I thought Angela Pippos might have been a good selection, but yeah. Well, I thought yeah. She used to have a show of her own, did she, Angela Pippos on the SBS on SBS? Yeah, I had a feeling she did. I thought she would have been, you know, quite confident to sit in the host chair. Maybe it was off to her. Maybe she said no. But, yeah, I thought I thought she would have been one that uh, would have been yeah, in the mix. I thought, I thought um, what was her name? Narelle. Is it Narelle from Fox Footy? Anyway, whatever her name. She was on uh, before the game. I thought she right, handled. Yeah, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought she handled herself all right with the guys on that show. So maybe she might have got the gig on this. But... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how this will go. We'll find out, I guess. We will find out. Meantime, uh, some short bits of news floating around the place. Uh, Wayne Campbell, as predicted by many, has left the AFL's umpiring department and joined the uh, GWS as its CEO, I think. So, uh, football manager, I believe. I'll is it right. manager or football that. CEO? He's he's joined their uh, executive department anyway. No, general manager of operations there, so uh, he replaces Graham Allen, who's coming back to Melbourne. So fun stuff there. Um, Mike, you wanted to talk about injuries? Well, actually, well, just skim over injuries in terms of injuries to big names over the last, uh, well, in the first round. I mean, we saw. Um, Injury to Luke Hodge there. That's going to hurt uh, Hawthorne even further. I think he's he's out for four weeks. Um, if we also look at the other injuries from the week, um, although he didn't play in the game, Tory Dixon from the Bulldogs could be out for another couple of weeks. He's uh, injured himself at training, which was uh, a little bit unfortunate. And um, oh, where are we? I'd have to look through. I think one there was another significant uh, injury uh, to... Or was it a, GC, a Gold Coast player? I don't know, to be honest. I don't 
Oh, well, Dane Swan, there you go. Well, yeah, um, season ending, uh, possibly season, season ending and possibly career ending, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's, uh, what's he done? He's um, leg injury, I think. Mm. No. Well, let's move on to perhaps the main feature tonight. I want to talk a little bit about women's footy, Mike. Because uh, there have been some announcements recently. And uh, we've got, uh, sorry, we've got Crowded House here to talk specifically about that tonight. Um, Crowded House, what has uh, the AFL made an announcement last week, I think, about the teams and how they're going to, uh, the bidding process and how long the season's going to be? What can you tell us about that? Well, the official tendering process has uh, opened for all 18 clubs, and we know that two are out straight away, which we'll get to in just a moment's time. But essentially what the league has said is they want eight clubs to take part in the Women's National League for next year. It will run in February and March. Uh, it will be a six- to eight-week season. I'm probably expecting seven matches with one final. They might even go semis and a final. Um, and each club will have a playing list of 25, all signed to one-year contracts. Um, 23 of the 25 will essentially be like on a part-time payment. There'll be two marquee players uh, per club, and um, those marquee players will be hired as full-time employees, so they'll essentially be ambassadors for the game. Um, uh, within that, um, how it's going to break down is the marquees can be, I think, picked from anywhere, um, and then for every state excluding Victoria, so we're talking WASA, New South Wales, Queensland, the rest of their team then will be selected essentially from their state base. Uh, for the Victorians, they will be split up amongst the four Victorian teams. So there'll be one team in WA. Um, at the moment, it'll either be West Coast Eagles or Fremantle. The male that I'm getting at the moment, it will be Frio. Uh, South Australia, um, it's already been settled. Uh, the Adelaide Crows joint uh, bid with Northern Territory will get up because Port Adelaide Power have pulled out. In Queensland, it will be the Brisbane Lions because the Gold Coast Suns have essentially pulled out. Um, in New South Wales, no word yet. Both the GWS Giants and Sydney Swans were both cool on the idea. A little caveat, in New South Wales ACT players will go to that GWS or Sydney side, plus the Tasmanians will be allocated towards that particular Sydney team that gets the licence. And again, in Victoria, four clubs, Melbourne, Western Bulldogs. It's looking like Carlton will probably be number three. It's all guesses now on who will be the fourth team. They'll have like a mini-state draft to divvy up the rest of the players um, yeah, to fill the squads at 25. Mm. I think uh, Brisbane were more or less guaranteed their, their spot months ago from what I'm told. Uh, yeah, the head of AFL Queensland was virtually saying they were preparing for the Brisbane Lions and were hoping for a few years later the Gold Coast Suns and um, the CEO from the Gold Coast Suns were virtually saying that uh, most of the women's teams anyway in, in the Quaffle uh, uh, seem to be all around the Brisbane area. So he says it made more sense and mm. said they were going to work on junior development and, and come in somewhere down the road, which I'm surprised. I mean, I, I honestly thought the AFL might have lent towards the Gold Coast Suns as a way of whatever membership you get from people interested in women's football, whether it be a few hundred, whatever it might be, just to try and build up the Gold Coast base and win a few more supporters over to the new club. Mm. Mike, uh, Susan Alberti, she's at the Bulldogs, yes? That's right, she's uh, on the board. Yeah, and and she, she's uh, been, a big, been a big driver behind uh, women's footy over the years, I think. 
and probably yeah. part of the reason the dogs are so into it. How's um how are the dogs shaping up for this? Look, to be honest with you, I haven't really been up keeping tabs on the uh, dogs women's side, but um, they are shaping up quite nicely from what I have heard, and uh, they are putting in a fair bit of effort to to actually take that team seriously and put in a good level of competition. I did have one question though in terms for Credit House in terms of how do they determine the marquee players and, and how they're allocated to clubs um, in terms of any particular level of equity to make sure that you know one club doesn't get the two best marquee players available and so forth. Is there any, is there any problem like that or is it is it going to be some sort of um, gentleman's agreement to put it that way? I've got a feeling it'll be a gentleman's agreement. They actually haven't said specifically with the two marquee players of how they'll be allocated. They have said, they dropped the line where they talked about that clubs would be able to pre-sign up to five players. Now, I don't know if that's across all eight clubs or is that specifically aimed at Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs as a way of thanking them for starting this whole thing. The one thing you can be guaranteed how things are being promoted, Daisy Pearce will be marquee player at Melbourne. No argument about that. And I think you can say the same at the Bulldogs with Stephanie Chiocci, who um, on front of the Bulldogs magazine is on the front page. Um, she, she, I think, will be no doubt signed as marquee number two. She'll be going to the Western Bulldogs. The only other one on the fringe that I can see, I reckon, will be Taylor Harris. She'll come out of Melbourne. And uh, I think thanks to a little encouragement, shall we call it, from the AFL, I think she'll be signed as the marquee player of the Brisbane Lions. I think that's fair enough. I mean... Melbourne and uh, Western Bulldogs over the last three seasons now have been the forefront for runners in kicking off or, you know, trying to get the uh, women's competition um, up on its feet. And I think it's slowly, slowly starting to build up some momentum now. So I couldn't think of anything more great and diverse for the game to, you know, see women of all backgrounds and cultures um, be involved in the game. Mike, does uh, the Western Oval... And it will always be the Western Oval to me. Yeah. Yep. No matter what names you people try to attach to it. it no, will, it's Western Oval, yeah. It's, always, it's Oval. Al- always the Western Oval to me. <laughs> but uh, does, it, does it actually have room to accommodate a women's football team? Yeah, it does have room, yeah. Um, in terms of the club rooms, though, there's still only... Sorry, in terms of change rooms, there's still only you know, a, a home and away visitors team, so they'd have to make schedule their... Um, Games obviously to to uh, make sure there's adequate uh, facilities there, but um, they've put a lot of money into the gym there. The ground is actually in pretty good playing condition. Uh, it's got very very good um, drainage across the board. They've improved the facilities at the site there. So for the women's competition, it's something they could easily host. So damned if I know where Melbourne are going to put a women's site in their facilities because I don't think there's room at Amy Park for them which is where Melbourne are currently based. So right. They, might, um, they could be based out at Casey. bit far. Uh, unless nice, they go to... Uh, what about, what about Optus Oval? No? Well, if Carlton get their own... There is room at, Car- yeah, there is room at Optus Oval for it, but if Carlton get it, then they uh, that, those, they, their, that women's side will move probably into the uh, rooms that are about to be vacated by the Melbourne Rebels, so... In one way, it wouldn't be a bad move for Melbourne to go down to Casey, particularly if they introduced into the future some type of zoning uh, around that Casey area because that is actually the strongest growth area for female football, particularly in the youth girls area, that whole um, 
area from, um, we're talking from Berwick right down through Cranbourne, right down to the Mornington Peninsula. I think it was like last year, out of nowhere, two leagues popped up with 10 teams each. That's mm. how rapidly it evolved in that area. I think Collingwood might get the fourth spot at the moment. Um, and they've, made, they've put plenty of money into, uh, you know, uh, Victoria Park. Mm. I mean, it'll either be Collingwood or Essendon, and it's not going to be Essendon, not in their current situation, so... Well, indeed, the, 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 as much as, you know, I thought it might have been a hint that the uh, the AFL Victoria Women's Academy jumpers had the logos of Melbourne Bulldogs, Carlton, Essendon on the back, I think Essendon has to fall down because they said to obtain a licence, uh, Clubs must address the criteria of governance and administration, business development, football operations, strategic relevance, and their broader commitment to female football. And you've got to think, considering the current doping scandal at Essendon, and I say this as an Essendon supporter, that fails in the governance and administration. If the AFL gave the licence to Essendon, everyone would say, well, this is a crock, this whole criteria, because mm. you, you didn't go by it. I wonder if Richmond might be a shot on the basis of... Uh Peggy O'Neill and her uh, her influence as well. And I should mention that the Youth Girls Academy, uh, Victorian Youth Girls teams have been training there and the Victorian Open Women's Academy side uh, played Queensland there just the other week. So uh, Punt Road has been used by women's footy a bit. Mm, I, I'm, Punt Road is one grand that I know is short of space though, so uh, I'm, I'm not really sure how they'd go with a full-time women's side base there along with uh, Richmond. Well, there was, uh, there was talk... Um, a couple of weeks back of, of uh, Richmond putting money into Punt Road and to further developing it. And, and again, this is the issue about space. Brendan Gale's pie-in-the-sky ideas. Mm. Mm. It's never going to happen. They cut too much... Uh, back in the 60s when they were redeveloping Punt Road, They uh, Vic Roads cut a lot of territory out of the Punt Road area. <laughs> so mm. uh, there's just not the space there to build a proper stadium, I don't think. No, not... not not to increase the size of, of Punt Road. I mm. mean, it's all they could do is improve the facilities on that existing side, but mm. they couldn't build out onto Punt Road. No way. There's Carlton advocating that the Women's League be actually based at Princess Park uh, today. It's not the, it wouldn't be the first time a Victorian or a league had been based at, uh, at Princess Park. AFL Victoria used to be based there. The umpires used to be based there. But you'd expect them to be based at Eddie Had with the AFL, so... The, the one weird thing I've always found about Princess Park is why it hasn't been used more frequently, not even an AFL type of scenario. I mean, when it came to the VFL Grand Final over the last few years, it's got no more than 25,000. That was for Footscray versus uh, the Box Hill Hawks a couple of years ago. That The crowds that uh, between 8,000 and 25,000 over the last few years that have seen those Grand Finals would have fit perfectly into Princess Park, and for some reason they do not use it. It, it gets more amusing when you consider that... Uh Clubs like the Bulldogs and North have been telling us for years that they can't make a profit on games that unless they attract over 30,000 people. So these VFL games that are being played there, they have to be making a loss on. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, they'd, be, they'd, they'd be losing blind. And the, the only reason I, I ask why they don't use Princess Park is, I guess, how much is Carlton charging? Because if you go on the big footy forums and down to Fitzroy, you'll have a lot of Fitzroy supporters talking about how they were yeah, bullied dry by Carlton. Yeah, that, was, that was 20 years ago. It's a little bit of a change of heart these days. Carlton have offered it as a clean stadium to the AFL. Um, and then there's then there's things like the pre-season games that are played at Eddie Head, and there's no way they break even. So... Go figure. 
There's one interesting thing to throw up about the, the female football scenario as well. Um, wherever they play their games, and, and by the look of it, it'll probably be tied into the to the NAB Cup as a curtain raiser or a closer. They've got to literally find it at the ground with lights because you can't play their games during February and March, during the middle of the day. I mean, what scenario are we going to be getting to? Let's say, and it has happened in the past, we've had a good old-fashioned Melbourne heat wave of, of, you know, days where it's 38 degrees plus for a couple of days. If one of them rolls along, let's say just perfectly time, it comes along on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you've got your league scheduled through then, then what the heck does it do to that? Yeah, but if they're playing before the actual AFL game, bearing in mind that AFL games require the ground to be vacated two hours before match time, Women are going to be playing at ten o'clock in the morning. Well, well actually, one, one hour one hour beforehand it has to be uh, clear. Still going to be playing at ten or eleven in the morning, aren't they? So it's it's not exactly peak time it, for heat. It, 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 yeah, it depends on when they want to play. I mean, because you've got because how Fox likes to put a few games on in a row on a Saturday, you might have like Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs uh, played um, in their preseason game. Game started around about was it one two o'clock in the afternoon. They end up going with the women starting at mm. four thirty five o'clock, doing it that way, playing them afterward. Mm. I'm, I'm not. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how serious the league is next year about it, like about the actual competition itself or whether it's still viewed as like an extended trial before the next season. Well, how about this line? Um, um, it's it's been revealed that a PhD student um, is currently studying the aspects of the women's game to advise the league on whether player numbers or the length of the quarter should be reduced and also suggesting on possible rule changes. Now, what I find amusing is not, not a person that's already qualified in the field. They're talking about a PhD Students. students, that's right. Just the one person, <laughs> not a team of people, a PhD student. If that doesn't scream to you of, oh, my God, we're doing things on such a budget basis, it's not funny, that line right there, a PhD student. And and when they suggested a week or two beforehand at a women in footy breakfast, Simon Leithland put out the idea of saying, oh, maybe we might do 16 aside or maybe we might do a nine-point um, super goal. As soon as we put that in our Girls Play Footy Facebook page, boom, it blew up with people going, what on earth is this guy about? They went, just leave the game alone. It, it does make you wonder how serious they are about it when they say stuff like that. In any case, um, we're going to move on, guys, because we've got to cover round two very briefly. Uh, so turn your hymnals to the AFL website if you haven't already. Uh and uh, Friday night, Collingwood have got Richmond in what is a fairly decent game. The MCC predicting 65,000 for this. Uh, Mike, who's going to win? Well, I'd be very, I'd be very surprised if they if they couldn't get 65,000. It's a Collingwood home game, and uh, you know I think Collingwood are going to be um, looking for a win to kick off their season. But uh, how well they're going to play without Swan? Have I'm not sure what other injuries they've got. And uh, to be honest, Richmond did not look that convincing against Carlton and, and were quite lucky to come away with points. I think on paper, I would actually put it uh, down to a Collingwood win, but but not by a lot, probably somewhere between 9 to 15 points. Mm. Interesting, the weather will be 18 and sunny um, on Friday night. If you're, if sunny. You're 18 and mostly I sunny on sunny Friday, the MCG. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite my favorite weather forecaster is back on the AFL website by the look of things. 
<laughs> let, let, let me let me say this Collingwood Richmond game is a win for the football public because whoever loses their supporters are going to be going nuts. Collingwood two and zip, they'll be pulling their hair out. If no, Richmond sure. lose, they'll be saying, that's it, we're not going to make finals. What will we be doing uh, extending Hardwick's contract? It's a win for the football public, this game. Mm. And Buckley's contract recently extended as well, wasn't it? So, interesting stuff. One lot, of, one lot of supporters will lose their minds, and for what it's worth, I think Richmond, by the barest of margins, it's will get all, over the line. It's always more entertaining when Richmond supporters lose their minds. <laughs> well, actually, if we look at this, going back now and looking at the injury list, Collingwood have got quite a few. I mean, Elliot's out for the season, Schoenberg's out for the season, Steel Cyborg suspended until round four. Dane Swan's out for, they've got 15 to 20 weeks, but I'd say the rest of the season, Travis Farco's two to three weeks and Marley Williams' is test. So mm. in comparison, we look at Richmond's injuries and uh, Ivan Marich is uh, going to be tested. Um, Shane Edwards is still a week. And Chris Yarren is still fat as a house. So. Yeah, seven weeks and uh, same for Reese Conker, seven weeks. So maybe you are maybe you are correct there, um, Mr. Crabbit House. Maybe I think it might be Richmond by the narrow, narrowest of margins. Mm. Second game, guys, Saturday afternoon, the big one in Adelaide, uh, the showdown uh, between Adelaide and Port Adelaide. Obviously, uh, big game. This an absolutely intense rivalry. Uh, it will be eighteen and sunny at Adelaide Oval <laughs> on uh, Saturday afternoon. Who's going to win, uh, Crabbit House? I think in this one, I'm going to put my bets on Adelaide. A close win against, a, sorry, a close loss against a hardened North Melbourne side versus Port, who you know went up against the Saints, and we don't know what much to make of the Saints. And it took them a while to shake them off. So I think the Crows will get over the line, maybe by a couple of goals. And just for those fans going to Adelaide, if you actually get there about uh, three hours earlier, uh, the women's trial match is the best players in SA, uh, the curtain raiser. I wish I could tell you it's like a Melbourne v Bulldogs thing, but it's actually Team Red versus Team Blue, so yay. (laughs) Imagination coming to Adelaide yet again. Uh, But mind you, this is partly because Port Adelaide refused to let uh, the Sandville use their jumpers for the game. Uh, telling the telling the league that uh, they could get stuffed unless the Port Adelaide side was playing. They couldn't use a Port Adelaide jumper, so probably fair enough. Carlton or Collingwood would have done the same, I think. So um, Essendon and Melbourne play on uh, Saturday afternoon in well the MCG, where unless uh, I'm much mistaken, the weather is likely to be 18 and mostly sunny. Mike, who is uh, who's going to win there? Ah, uh, look, I think will I think Melbourne will, should win comfortably, somewhere between thirty to forty points. I would say. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Credit House, but Essendon is a car wreck this season, and and they can only try um, as best as they can. But I I really struggle to see them winning more than two or three games this year. Um, uh, and on Melbourne's form, I think you have you have to give it to Melbourne. I agree. I'm in the same boat on Essendon only winning a couple of games this year, three if we're lucky, and I actually think this might be one of them. I think we're just hoping on and just banking on that Melbourne don't really remember that feeling of winning two in a row. So this might be one of the three that we might be able to pinch, and I reckon the Bombers by 10 points, and I I predict a pretty awful-looking game. (laughs) Well, you can certainly expect... uh... Yeah, a bit of an uproar from the Melbourne fans, and here we go, tanking again. 
think uh, Jack Watts, is he experiencing a renaissance after last week? Oh, one game. I mean, who did they play? They played uh, GWS. Mm. Let's see. Mm, D's for mine, I think. Um, I don't think the Bombers have a hope in hell at the moment. Uh, Saturday evening, well, Saturday, late Saturday afternoon, the Brisbane Lions have got North Melbourne at the Gabba. Uh, it will be 18 and mostly sunny at the Gabba, if you're wondering. How are you, um, how are we seeing this crowded house? I'm seeing this uh, as a victory to North Melbourne. They're going to get off to a very good start. I think uh, Brisbane's still licking their wounds after being touched up nicely by the Eagles. And um, whatever Harvey's on, I'd like to have. Wasn't he born in 1653 and he's still going? Mm, came, came over with Francis Drake or something. Michael's there then. He remembers. It, is he is he is he based on the movie Highlander? You know, do we have to cut his head off till he finally dies? Probably, probably. Now, if there's someone there that you want to test for uh, illicit drugs or uh, you know some sort of enhancers or AD, <laughs> I think you better look at look at Mr. Harvey because he's certainly got to be on something to keep going. Mm. What's he forty three this year? No, I think he's about thirty eight or thirty seven. Is he? he? He's like younger than Messenger, however old he is. So. It's I think that puts him at 37 this year. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. But so, he's, he, he's adamant that he's going to get Tuck's record. Well, he might at the rate he's young. Mm. But uh, north for mine here, I think. I think in a, you know, in a landslide, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Saturday night, St Kilda have got your team, uh, the Western Bulldogs, in uh, Maddie's match, I think it is. Uh, as they promote it, 13th versus 1st. The weather, of course, on uh, Saturday night will be 18 and mostly sunny, according to the AFL website. Uh, Mike, how are you seeing this? Uh, given given they're playing at Eddie Head, given our form at Eddie Head over the last 10, 10 week or 10 matches, 15 matches, um, I'm going to say I'm going to say the Bulldogs, of course, um, but but within reason, you know. Um, I think we have the fitness to keep St Kilda at bay, um, whereas Port were, were a little bit lazy, I think, with St Kilda and didn't sort of pay them the respect. Um, but I think there is a gap there between St Kilda and the Dogs, and I think we should win that reasonably comfortably. I won't say it will be thrashing, but it'll be somewhere between 20 to 30 points. And uh, I, I, I actually think that down at the Western Oval at the moment, out of the Bulldog shop there, they're actually selling the limited edition wear on top of the ladder T-shirt. So get them now while you can, while you're there. I don't know. I think, you know we, were, we were on top of the ladder actually for a few weeks back in 2008. <laughs> so you can't beat that one. I think, I think we've got a year of the dog on us, guys. That's, um, I, I think we're, it's going to shape up for a very good year for the Western Bulldogs. I think I would, uh, I would hope so. I mean, I, I would hope that you know the, this, this team, and I, I'm still not convinced that they're ready to to win a grand final at this stage. I think they've still got another year to go. I think, in all honesty, if they can get, if they could get through and finish in the top four this year, I think mm. they're doing really well. And I think probably next year would be the year that they would be primed to win one. Yeah, I'd agree yeah. with that. Is this a game where we have to prove the Bulldogs' credentials? That is, a genuine premiership threat is a team that finds a side like St Kilda and puts them to the sword mercilessly. I'm talking in the vicinity of a 100-point hiding. Is this the game where 
If the Bulldogs just scrape over the line, you go, oh, yeah, things are going well. If they completely smash St Kilda, can we then say, hmm, maybe it is the year of the Dogs? Oh, I would say, look, two games in or one game in the season, I think you start asking those questions really about halfway through based when you've got some data on how many games they've played and how they've gone against good sides and the bad sides. I, I don't like it. You know, every every week someone wins and already they're talking about on the general board, you know, is this the year of the Cats? The Cats going to win the premiership? And, you know, it's the same old stuff. I, I, I think I, I like to be a little bit more realistic and, and wait until, you know, we've had 10 or 11 games and we've seen a little bit more of the team in terms of how consistent they are before we start making those claims. So, you know, look, the dogs have to beat St Kilda if they are going to improve and be considered as a, a team capable of, you know, uh, of contending. But I wouldn't put, you know, week one and week two's um, results on a team being a premiership contender. No, no way. All right, Fremantle have got the Gold Coast on uh, Saturday afternoon, Perth time. Uh, this is at Domain Stadium, which will be... Uh, having 18-degree temperatures and mostly sunny. So, uh, Crowded I, House, can the uh, can Frio come back from a loss on the weekend? I think uh, Frio have sold their inside 50 to a Chinese company as grazing land because there's nothing much going on there. So I think the Gold Coast will win this one and win this one by about 50 points. They'll, they'll do them like they did Essendon. In Perth. You, yes. You, really? Yeah. That's a yeah. I, I could actually see uh, Gold Coast winning as well. Look, um, Fremantle just were so flat. Um, very little drive coming off the back line there. Um, I think Fife's got a bit of a cork, so he's not going to be up hundred percent. I'm not sure if Johnson's back this week or Sandlands is back this week, but they just look very, very flat, Fremo mm. at the moment. And they've got there's some of the youngsters that are out injured, so. I would not be surprised if, if Gold Coast uh, beat them. And, and this is an interesting one as well. If the Gold Coast can beat them over there, it might be a sign that they've started to mature as a team and finally this is a year where we could say, I'm not going to obviously talk, talk about them being a premiership side, but saying, okay, this is a year where they might have claims on making the eight and, and being a finals team. Mm. All right, moving along. GWS have Geelong on Sunday afternoon at Manuka, I believe. Canberra. So, uh, where despite it being practically winter in Canberra, it will be 18 and mostly sunny, according to the AFL website. Um, the Giants, narrow loss. Uh, Geelong coming off uh, a, a good win over Hawthorne. But it is in uh, Canberra. How are we seeing this, Mike? Oh, look, uh, it'd be hard to go past Geelong uh, at this point in time. Um, they they look okay. I mean, against GWS, who's really struggled against Melbourne uh, last week. I think in terms of getting their game together and being able to keep up with Melbourne, who, who let's be honest, I mean, Melbourne are improving, but they aren't burning down the houses. Mm. I would I would I would expect uh, Geelong to sort of win this um, comfortably by probably thirty to forty points. To be honest with you. Mm. I see why Geelong fans are starting to get excited. They see this as the class of 2012 starting to mature. Um, you've, you've always seen it with Geelong AFL Premiership sides that have always come out of some particular VFL Premiership era. The 2007 flag virtually came out of those that won uh, the Ablets, etc., that won out of the 2002 VFL Grand Final. I think this is what you're seeing now. The crop that won the 2012 VFL flag against Port Melbourne 
they're starting to mature. This is now their time, and I think that's why the Cat supporters are getting quite excited. Well, so I think we're all going for Geelong on that one. Uh, Sunday afternoon, Hawthorne and the West Coast Eagles at the MCG, a rare game at the MCG for West Coast. Uh, Hawthorne looking to come back from uh, their loss on Monday. How are we seeing this crowded house? Yeah, interesting uh, one, this one between the uh, Hawks and the West Coast Eagles. Um, being played in Melbourne might just tip me the way of the Hawks. No great confidence, but I think they're a proud club and I don't think they're going to accept two losses in a row. So for me, uh, the Hawks to squeeze out a win against the West Coast, maybe by about three goals. Mike? I actually think... Yeah, and I hate to say it, but I actually think that uh, West Coast can beat Hawthorne um, this weekend at, at the G. I hope they can. Mm. There's nothing better than a Hawthorne loss. Put me in a good mood for the podcast a week out, the, the, the yeah. couple of days later. <laughs> we'll never see we'll never see Messenger again. It'll be like <laughs> round seven when he comes back. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Look, <laughs> You know, I, I, I said last week, you know, that Hawthorne are right, were ripe for a loss, and I still think they're ripe for another loss this week. I, I just don't think Hawthorne are going to have a good start to the year. I think it'll take them a couple of weeks to get to, to find their gear and find their mojo and get back to a bit of a a bit of a uh, you know match form and uh, a bit of routine. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if West Coast win this one, not not by a massive thrashing, either probably two to three goals. Mm. Last game of the round, Carlton have the Sydney Swans at uh, Etihad Stadium on Sunday evening, well, Sunday afternoon evening. Uh, Carlton played reasonably well, as can be expected, against Richmond. The Swans had a good win, uh, but the game being in Melbourne, will that have any effect whatsoever, Mike? I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, Carlton is... is, is good as they tried against uh, Richmond last week. I don't think they're going to be able to match um, Sydney at this point in time. I think uh, you know Sydney at the moment are playing or played pretty well against Collingwood and we're, we're able to shut Collingwood down very, very quickly in terms of their offensive uh, moves. And um, if we continue to see um, their form, I think they'll do nicely this year. Sydney um, you know, and contradict most people's Thinking that they'll uh, they'll they'll decline and drop out of the eight. Mm. Crowded house. What's your thoughts? Well, one thing I reckon Carlton have got the recruit of the year, and he's not on the field. He's in the coach's box in Brendan Bolton, who came through the ranks at uh, the Box Hill Hawks and uh, then progressed up under the tutelage of Hardwick, uh, pardon me, uh, of um, Alistair Clarkson. Um, and um, I-, I witnessed him firsthand when I used to commentate VFL games at the Box Hill Hawks, and he took a side that was looking pretty much like a rabble at Box Hill and got them all the way set up for a tilt at the um, at the premiership until he got promoted to join um, Hawthorne and then Damien Carroll took over. Teaching background, very good communicator, uh, methodically plans everything, highly spoken of every way he goes. And it was no surprise to me, honestly, when Carlton at least put up a show against Richmond. And I think that signals better things ahead for the Blues down the road, hopefully with the right recruiting for them. That said, though, taking on the Sydney Swans, Franklin is like right back from WWE wrestling. Feed me more. I think Franklin's going to have a bit of a day out against Carlton, and I would say the Swans to do it um, in cruise control by about five or six goals. 
Franklin normally does have a day out against Carlton, but we have a secret weapon this year. It's not Liam Joseph. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not one of uh, Edelston's misses, is it? Please don't say it's <laughs> no, no. It's a, it's a secret weapon. I tell you, it's uh, it's Michael Jamison won't play on him this year. I mean, he might have a couple of minutes on him, but Jacob Weedering is going to sit in front of that man. And I tell you what, he's going to take him to school. That's my prediction. All right. And and I'm calling a Carlton win. Not a big win, but a win. That would certainly be interesting and uh, certainly uh, cause some uh, controversy. If if we can kick some goals, and it's a big if, because apparently we can't kick for shit at the moment. It's uh, if we at kick, the moment, if we can kick goals, we'll be a happy, happy team. Our midfield's firing; they're all fit. We've got very, very few. Our injury list has like three players on it at the moment, so we're going to be as close to full strength as we're going to be, and we're going to find out what we can do once the game plan actually kicks in and everyone starts gelling together. I'll tell you, we're going to have a better year than people think we are. Mm. Anyway, that's round two done, guys. Before we wrap up, what are you looking forward to the most? Mike? I was going to say crickets. Uh, look, I, I'm, I'm hopefully looking forward to seeing another Dogs victory this weekend. And uh, just on the quiet side there, seeing uh, seeing uh, West Coast beat Hawthorne. But I didn't really say that, did I? <laughs> no, just, no. just, just in spite of messenger there. It's, it's, it, it, you can't help yourself, can you? It's yeah, no. But I, I hope overall we see another good round of footy. Um, mm. You know, there might be a couple of upsets there or not. But you know, as I said, it's still we're, we're still fresh into the season there. And uh, if we can get a good couple of matches under the belt and get people back into the footy, I think it's win-win all around. Crowd mm. House, what are you looking forward to the most? Well? Um, I'll, I'll give you three things. Uh, one, as I mentioned earlier, watching either Collingwood or Richmond supporters implode on Friday night after one of them loses. Saturday, one of a few Essendon wins for the year. And the third thing, a blatant plug, 1.30pm Sunday afternoon. Look forward to being back in the commentary box on girlsplayfooty.com. The Victorian women's footy season starts at last. Uh, Eastern Devils versus St Kilda Sharks. I look forward to that. Um... For me, I'm looking forward to seeing the media reaction to, well, the social media reactions to uh, Rebecca Madden on uh, Thursday night. Uh, Media reactions always fascinate me. Social media is a fascinating beast at the best of times. And the forums will probably explode. So, yay for us all. Anyway, guys, that's about it for this week. Thank you very much for coming on. uh, Not messing you. Mike? <laughs> You're welcome. Good talk to you guys and uh, have a good and a wonderful weekend. I should also confirm that I have not now, nor have I ever had gonorrhea, uh, despite the vicious rumours spread about me last week by Mike and Messenger. Oh, yeah, I didn't spread any, mess- any rumours about you having any SCDs. That was I, all Messenger. I will I... play back the tape if you like. No, I said. We've got to keep the show G-rated, and that unfortunately was a segue for uh, Messenger to bring that in. So I didn't you say in, you about encouraged that. him. You didn't slap him down. I've heard it. <laughs> Remember, he's an admin. He's an admin, so he can slap us down. And a big thank you to uh, Crowded House or Peter Holden from GirlsPlayFooty.com and GirlsPlayFooty Radio. Thank you very much uh, for coming on tonight. 
uh, it's a privilege, and for me, it's now what am I promoted back into um, the sub forums now? All right, we'll see. We'll see how we go. <laughs> um, and for me, I am of course the Wookie. Thank you very much for listening. If you've got this far into the podcast, you've done well. It's a good hour uh, of uh, us knowing very little about the game. See you all next week.